Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOT. And this week, we are going over UFC Vegas 59, headlined by a light heavyweight bout between Jamal Hill and Tiago Santos. Big, big test here for Jamal Hill. And if he's able to pass it, he'll definitely be able to assert himself into title talks, possibly in the next fight or two, uh, especially because... In my opinion, Tiago Santos probably in that championship gatekeeper uh, status at this point in time. Uh, I did have a guest fall out short notice on me, but luckily I found a great guy to replace him with. He is right now the number one seed or the number one ranked guy in the high stakes $500 lock of the night challenge that we have going on for the full year here. He has about four more months that he needs to close out or five more months, I should say, to close out the game here. Very tough task, but he has a pretty solid lead over the rest of the crew. Welcome in my guy, Gordo Gambles. Gordo, what's going on, my brother? Hey, man, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to uh, finally be able to to meet face-to-face and do these videos with you. I'm really looking forward to it. But yeah, what an intro. A lot of pressure going in on this $500 <laughs> high-stake challenge now, man. Hey, every prediction you make on this uh, stream, better hit. Otherwise, better you're trash. Hit. You suck. You're garbage, right? <laughs> Never invited back again. <laughs> exactly. You're blacklisted, pretty much. Uh, that's how the comment section rolls nowadays, it seems like. You got to be perfect or you suck. But I guarantee you guys that Gordo will definitely be giving you guys uh, – his best takes and a damn good uh, prediction as well in all these fights because he is very sharp in terms of his ability to call fights, props, money line, all that stuff. Not to mention his DraftKings. I know over here in Ontario, we kind of got robbed of DraftKings. So I'm not sure how you've been staying busy in terms of DraftKings. So I might as well lead it off with that question. Like, have you found other ways to take advantage of your DraftKings skills or are you just kind of just giving out information and not playing anything? You know what, man? It's been such a hard adaption because that was what I was basing a lot of my content on. A lot of my yeah. man hours are going towards that. I've kind of shifted towards the uh, the betting side of things because the betting was legalized here and it had become uh, a lot easier for me to take advantage of that. Uh, but man, it's it was a... Uh, it's been a really tough change. I think that I'm still able to play a few lineups. I'm still able to enter the Iron Man, still able to do a few things. Um, but a lot of that that research and that time I spent working on my my models, my floor ceilings, my my spreadsheets has gone towards betting and taping fights and looking towards uh, how I can beat the the betting market instead of the DraftKings market. So I haven't been playing to the full to my extent. Um, I know that hopefully things will get back to normal shortly. But for right now, we're focusing on betting. We're having fun doing so, and we're just getting my few lineups out there for the uh, various Iron Mans I'm in. Uh, speaking of which, uh, it seems like you, need, you seem to know something about the future of DFS up here in Ontario. Please do let us know what the latest is because I haven't heard anything myself. I, I just heard it was a temporary thing and that as soon as they are able to get that legalized, it'll be back here. Uh, I know that nothing's set in stone. All right, This is all something that they had to do. It's it's not DraftKings itself. It was the whole um, just the Ontario regulations having to go over that and do that. But right now, nothing really I know of I can add really uh, with a really confidence and just saying that it should be back sooner rather than later uh unfortunately um i think i will be moving to the states next couple of years anyways for some school Ooh. so there's some other developments there but with that being said uh right now in the way that we are no DraftKings, no dfs purely betting and no uh, prize picks. to talk about no prize picks <laughs> no thrive none of that yeah hopefully they can change those laws and i, I get it we had a trade-off in terms of letting go of dfs but also getting a lot of these bookies like DraftKings and like FanDuel and all these other uh bookies that came over to you on in over to ontario back in april uh but hopefully they can actually get with the times and just be like hey let's let's do it all it's all the same shit 
betting is betting, whether it's lineups or straight bets. So hopefully they can get that squared off. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into the 13, or sorry, 12 fight card that we got coming up tomorrow night. First of which starts us off in the women's bantamweight division between Myra Bueno Silva and Stephanie Egger. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 130 on Stephanie Yeager and plus 110 on Myra Bueno. Interestingly enough, DraftKings actually opened up Stephanie Yeager as a plus 130 dog. Steady money money coming in on her side to make her the favorite now. And I agree with that. I, I got a little late on the tape on this, but I still managed to get a decent number of minus 113 on Stephanie Yeager in this spot. Uh, her Olympic-level judo should be able to help her here in terms of getting this fight to the ground, as it has over the last couple fights, right? The Jessica Rose Clark fight and even the um, uh, Shada Young fight where she's able to get to them to the ground and just use her crushing top pressure to stay uh, on top and and either rain down shots or wait for a submission opportunity to open itself up so that she can snatch that up as well. I love everything she brings to the table. I'm not sure where the disrespect is coming from her. Is it because of the uh, the Tracy Cortez fight? We know Tracy is one of the best fighters in that division, so you can't detract her too much from that matchup, but I'm glad that she's making it up with these past two performances. I'm going to call it three performances now because I think she goes out there and gets that win. I think there is absolutely a, a possibility that she can go out there and get that TKO victory from on top, which currently sits at plus 800, but I'm more than happy with that money line at minus 113, and uh, that's probably where I'll have the majority of my action. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Am I not giving Bueno Silva enough props here, or do you agree on the Stephanie Yeager side? You know what? I, I have to go head-to-head -head with you on the first one. It's not what All I'm right. going with. Yeah, it's not what I'm saying with supreme confidence. I have not bet the MBS side. I do think it was one where I was waiting for the line to keep moving. It has finally seen some buyback on the MBS side. It was at uh, plus 120. Now it's plus 105 uh, on that online. So right now, again, a lot of love with Stephanie Egger, and I get it. As a dog, she has a, a very solid ability to win a fight. But when you're betting her at chalk, you're really relying on her to go out there and do everything perfect. Because Stephanie Egger, I don't think, I don't think she's necessarily the better striker. I don't think that she thinks she's the better uh, submission grappler. What she is going to be, she's going to be the better person with top control and in the clinch. And in order for her to win this fight, which I would like her to do at dog odds, it, you're going to have to see a perfect fight from her, right? You're going to have to see her get into the clinch, close distance, and lay on top and really make herself safe. I just think that there's way too many um, ifs, ands, or buts when you're betting the Egger side because I think that MBS is going to be the more solid striker from range. She's going to be the ability to have more power and also have the ability to go out there and uh, put Egger in some difficult spots. I think that despite the judo game and the top pressure of um, Stephanie Egger, I mean, MBS is no Jessica Rose Clark or Shannon Young. I think she's going to throw up some resistance on the ground. I think she's going to have the ability to go out there and make things just really a hairy situation. And for that reason, whereas I, I don't mind your shot on Edgar, especially with those odds, I cannot get anywhere near her in uh, the where the money line is now. I think instead, if the line keeps going up, I told myself I'd bet MBS at plus 115. I can get that right now. I might have to do that just because I do think that she has those advantages that I've mentioned, the striking, the offensive grappling, and the ability to go out there and make it a lot closer fight. With that being said, again, not something I'm rushing to go play. I, I do think that it's going to be a really fun fight. I think that Eggers had to have the ability to win those minutes, win those wrestling exchanges, get those judo throws that we know she's good at. But I think that she's really going to just struggle a lot more than people are saying too. I, I heard a lot of people saying she's going to roll through here. I do think that NBS is going to put up a fight. I think she's going to have those huge striking advantages there. I do think that the longer it stays at range, the longer NBS should look like the original favorite that she was. That being said, don't mind the minus 113. And uh, I just, I got to go the other way on this one.
Yeah, I, I kind of blew through my breakdown and kind of just completely overlooked the Myra Bueno Silva side because you are right. I'm glad that you brought up those points. She's the better striker. She has some good power in her strikes. Uh, she's very active off her back at times, like sometimes to a fault, right? She can almost allow uh, opponents to just grind her off from on top, thinking that she's eventually going to lock up a submission. But if that does not come, she's giving up valuable minutes with her opponent on top of her and uh, giving up the round essentially as well. So uh, interesting fight to kick off the card. Interesting line movement. Let's see if the public is right or if the odds makers uh, were the, the correct ones at the, at the jump here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. It's another women's fight, but this one taking place in the strawweight division. We got Corey McKenna taking on Miranda Granger. In terms of odds, we got minus 195 on Corey McKenna and plus 165 for the newish mom, Miranda Granger, which is why she's been off for about two years now. Gordo, I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you thinking about these two strawweights who gets their hand raised here? Yeah, I don't want to go out here and repeat the same thing of the if, ands, or buts theory. But again, Corey McKenna is someone who has a really good skill set that we haven't seen really utilized to our full extent. We see some questionable fight ideas, questionable decision last time out. And that's why I think that this line may be a bit wide. With that being said, I do think she's a more talented fighter with the path to victory. And uh, being this fight with the newer mom, as you mentioned, Miranda Granger, I do think that she has the ability to go out there and win. But when I'm looking at this wide price range, especially at the plus 205, I do think that that was a bit disrespectful to Miranda Granger because if Corey McKenna fights that same fight she did last time, it's going to be Harry. I think Miranda Granger is the better striker, is the rangier striker, and is really just one that is going to go out there and make things Harry once again. I think that this fight is also going to be very close. With that being said, if they fight to the fullest of their abilities, if they fight to the best that they can, Corey McKenna has this fight win uh, done, locked and loaded. She's the better grappler, the better wrestler. I do think that if she closes that distance, she's going to have the ability to even put away someone in Miranda Granger. That being said, I think that Miranda Granger, despite having coming off that pregnancy, is working on the right things. I've seen the the, the right things from her when I'm looking into her, um, her you know, her Instagram. Just talking her socials and making sure I see what she's working on. I do think she is working on the better things here, and I do think that she's improving her game. The longer this stays at range, the more that Corey McKenna plays that Elise Reed fight, Miranda Granger is going to look way better than a plus 200 underdog. That being said, I can't bet that because, again, ifs, ands, or buts, I don't want to be betting on such low-level WMMA. I think that Corey McKenna is the rightful favorite, but shouldn't be this wide, in my opinion. I love how you use the term stalking her Instagram page. But Very, hey, yeah. as, as cappers and analysts and stuff, we essentially are stalking these fighters to try to find out what they are best at and you know what, what they're cur currently doing and what they're up to, who they're training with. So you're absolutely on the uh, button there. Uh, I, I'm largely in agreement with you, man. I, I think personally that Corey McKenna is just a little bit overrated, which is why she continues to get this minus 200, minus 250 price tag fight after fight. And I think we're slowly starting to see it unravel, you know, obviously with that Elise Reed fight last time around. And it could absolutely happen here with Miranda Granger, right? We're talking about a 10-inch reach advantage as well as a 4 to 5-inch reach, or sorry, height advantage as well. We saw it on display at the weigh-ins uh, and the stare-downs this morning, but uh, I thought it'd be a little bit more pronounced. Maybe it will be once they step inside the cage and we see Granger trying to maintain her distance and try to keep her on the outside, and, and that's where it'll probably come into play. But if McKenna can get in on the outside, get those takedowns, uh, she could have some decent work that she can put together. I'm not totally sold on her ability to 
to crush people from on top. Like, I don't think she has a, a super impressive top game. Uh, we saw Elise Reed get taken down three times, but get right back to her feet all those times. Miranda Granger, you know, a little bit uh, offensive off her back as well, right? I, I'm interested to see what her lanky frame can pose uh, in terms of issues here for Corey McKenna. And uh, it's not like Corey McKenna is an Ashley Yoder type BJJ player, right? Ashley Yoder, very good at like, you know, getting the back and kind of backpacking uh, uh, opponents. And that's what Miranda Granger fell to in that fight. But I don't see Corey McKenna being able to do that in this spot. So if this turns into, uh, you know, if the ground gets nullified, if we continue to see this fight take place on the feet, Granger could absolutely chip away from the outside and and keep this, uh, you know, keep, keep this close and possibly even come out with a victory herself. She looked great at the weigh-ins this morning. She was second on the scales after uh, uh, after Tiago Santos. So you got to believe that she's been putting in the work, you know, post-pregnancy and and through everything that she had to go through with her body to begin with. Now she's back into fighting shape. She's ready to go. I want to see her go out there and perform first before I actually trust her with my money. But you could get a much worse price tag than plus 180, plus 200, right, in, in a situation like this. So um, prediction-wise, I'll go with McKenna. But in terms of straight betting, you know, it will be hard to even come up with a legitimate enough argument to parlay Corey McKenna in this spot. Uh, but it's just as hard to come up with the, you know, uh, courage and, and get the balls to bet on Miranda Granger as a dog in the spot post partum pretty much right yeah i i agree too and i think if you add in the let's talk some dfs here shortly because i have to talk yeah about let's go quick. let's go let's go for for me this is one it's a really volatile card a lot of fighters where we have some very live underdogs but also ones who could be um let's say flatlined early on and really limited to a lot of scores because i do see a lot of finishes on this card i think that miranda granger has a high enough of a floor to really roster at 7.1k I think that she's just a bit underpriced here. I think that she has the ability to go out there and win a decision. She has the striking ability. She has the range. And I do think that she is a very good underdog option at 7.1K just because she has that higher floor than the other people around her. So she's definitely one I'm actually going to go roster more than uh, I'd like to admit just because it is Miranda Granger. Um, <laughs> but she is one I'm going to definitely go towards uh, in those cash and uh, those low of, uh, low ownership cheap plays. Yeah, and it's not like she just stumbled upon a seven and two record, right? Like she's actually gone out there and gotten wins. So she she has a winnable uh uh style of fighting. So let's see if she can go out there and snap this two fight losing streak that she's currently on and maybe get a win for her newborn baby as well. Maybe even bring home a performance bonus because I'm sure they would enjoy that as well. Uh, I, I have to throw it out there. Uh, Miranda Granger by submission is plus 1600 worth a little bit of a shot, especially with McKenna. If she is going to be going out there and trying to get this fight to the ground, she's going to be fighting off some submissions. So I think that is absolutely live in this spot. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got a welterweight bout between Jason Witt and Josh Quinlan. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 245 for Josh Quinlan and plus 205 the return on Jason Witt. Now, the, the entire week, like I'm like, hey, Jason Witt's a big dude. You're, I mean, this guy is always very tough to deal with in terms of his strength. Uh, when fights are going his way, he's able to drag guys to the ground and kind of, you know, either control them from on top or, you know, work to a submission, work to a finish. He's very good from that top position when he's able to get fights there. Um, but the issue is his, his chin, right? His durability. He's very fragile. Guys can get smothered by him for six and a half minutes and then wake up and eventually uh, land a big shot and get him out of there. That's the big concern you always have with Jason Witt, which is why I don't believe he'll be a favorite that often in his fights because there's always that liability to, uh, of him getting chin checked. You can win 99% of a fight, but if you slip up for one second, and we've seen it with Jason Witt time and time again, you could end up paying for it. 
Uh, on the flip side, uh, the point I was trying to get at at the beginning of this breakdown was, uh, yeah, Jason Wynn is big, but man, I was surprised how big Josh Quinlan looked uh, beside him as well. Like th- this guy is pretty big himself for this uh, this weight class, and I was surprised that uh, Jason Wynn wasn't bigger than him. Uh, I didn't look at the metrics specifically myself. Like I should uh, I should have done that. I just automatically assumed that Jason Wynn would be the bigger guy. But Wynn is five ten with a seventy inch reach, and then on the flip side for Josh Quinlan, uh, six foot with a seventy two inch reach. So very big dude there as well, who hits very hard, trains out of the infamous one fight team, uh, AKA the third best MMA gym in Las Vegas, but he, he still has gone out there, has a unscathed five and zero record, technically six and zero. should he have not gotten popped for USADA the last time around. And that's where my hesitancy lays. Like, does that USADA issue cause him not to have that knockout power anymore? Does it affect his possible cardio, uh, right? Like, from what we've seen on tape, his cardio looks great. He's able to go into third rounds, still pull off submission victories. That's fine by me. But what does it look like now that he doesn't? That he's not on those those vitamins, right? What? How is that going to help him out uh, dealing with a big guy like Jason Witt? So uh, tough for me to to, you know, sack up here and lay the chalk on Josh Quinlan at minus 245. I think the best way to go about it would either be playing him inside the distance at minus 165 or uh, by KO at plus 100. And the only reason I say inside the distance is there is absolutely the possibility of a uh, club and sub situation. It's absolutely possible. And you don't want to get caught with your hand in the cookie jar taking that plus 100 when you could have just taken the minus 165. I get it. There's a huge difference in numbers there. But you want to cover that possible submission uh, outcome as it is absolutely live in this spot. Uh, Weigh-ins wise, both guys look great to me. You know what I mean? Uh, Quinlan looking shredded as hell. Uh, Lean and shredded, I should say. And then Jason Witt looking like the the gorilla that he is. Um, But... Prediction-wise, I'll go with the Quinlan side. I, I do think he gets the knockout at a certain point here. I get the argument for Jason Witt because we've seen him survive the Brian Barbarina fight, right? Everybody and their mama was on the Brian Barbarina fight trying to you know, hope that he can crack that chin of Jason Witt. It didn't happen. Sometimes the chin shows up. Most of the time, the chin does not. Is tomorrow going to be some of the time or most of the time? We'll have to wait and find out, but I'm not going to wait. Uh, be willing to pay that minus 245 to uh, to, to find out personally. So Quinlan by KO will be the, the, the spot for me, but uh, no play on the money line. What about yourself? Yeah, this is one where I was I was waiting to see how you would tar- target this one because I, I need your opinion. I told myself all week <laughs> I wasn't going to touch this fight. Like I've lost enough money trying to hope Jason Wynn has a, enough of a chin. And I told myself there's no way I'm touching this. That being said, I'm going to have a lot of Quinlan on DraftKings, and I do think that's the way I'm going to target this one is because I do think he has finish upside, high scoring, really has the ability to do well. But there's two lines that have caught my that caught my eye, both of them being on DraftKings Sportsbook, and I, I really just needed to know how you really saw this one going down. Um, first one of them is fight doesn't start round three. It's sitting at minus 120. I do think that it's mm. a bit too short because Quinlan's win condition is probably that early knockout. It stays on the feet for any period of time. I mean, you got to expect that Josh Quinlan is going to have the opportunity to touch that chain of Jason Witt and really break it as easily as everybody else has. Um, and that being said, if Jason Witt's able to get off his game, you mentioned it. The elephant in the room is the USADA suspension from Josh Quinlan. It's a guy who's has been a cheater. I mean, I don't want to put it harshly, but he's he's been caught red-handed using all of these things and how is he going to look without the um really ability to go out and do that same thing i think that i might end up playing the fight doesn't start round three 
because minus 120 is a bit too short. But the other way you could look at this thing is going to be the decision-only line. Again, getting fancy, getting cute, but Jason Witt decision-only is minus 125. I don't think that Josh wow. can go out there and win a decision as proactively as Jason Witt can. I think Witt has a lot of the, the minute-winning equity here. I think he has the ability to go out there and grapple him, wrestle him, win minutes on the ground. And that's the reason why I'm kind of liking his finish uh, his decision-only line. Because if the fight ends inside the distance, we know that it's most likely going to be Josh Quinlan, right? Getting that knockout, t- touching that chin. Or going to be Jason Witt wearing him down on the ground, exposing this Dana White contender series. I know, I know your buddy Clint's going to be on that Dana White contender series play. Right? <laughs> he already so, is. That was the first play, is. if I'm not mistaken. So I, I know that the, there's always that look of him exposing that fraudulent fighter, exposing that guy who's no longer on the drugs. We hope. Uh, so, so again, two ways to look at it: either fight doesn't start round three, give me violence, or Jason Witt winning a decision. And I think he does have a lot more finish or decision equity here in that spot, to which minus 125 does look pretty good. That is a phenomenal line on the Jason Witt uh, decision. Sorry, sorry. It's finish, no bet, right? Is that pretty much what it is? If there's a finish, there's no bet. Correct. I think it's only on DraftKings, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The only way to lose that bet is pretty much if Quinlan wins a decision. Yes. There you go. Uh, good spot for my guy Gordo there. Uh, But we both are seeming to be on the Quinlan side, thinking that he'll be able to get that finish at a certain point. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got another welterweight bout between Takashi Sato and Brian Battle in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus uh, 295 on Brian Battle, plus 245 the return on Takashi Sato. This line has been taking steady action since Brian Battle opened up as a minus 215 favorite. Curious to hear your thoughts on this one, uh, Gordo. What are you thinking in this welterweight scrap? Yeah, uh, let's let's face it. Uh Battle did not look good at weigh-ins today. Uh, he's a guy who is a very, very big dude dropping down to an 08 class. And, and I'm not the biggest Takashi Sato fan. I do think that there are some holes in his game. And I do think that I'm most likely to be one to fade him. But I think he has a decent matchup here. For me, this is the one fight on the card where I'm just completely avoiding it at all costs. I think that the more talented fighter in his terms of his skill set who will most likely win this matchup is Brian Battle. But he's also the guy with more unknowns. First time at this weight class. First time looking really bad at us on the scale for me. I think he looked awful. Uh, the guy who has probably the weaker striking defense, the guy who's going to be hit more often, and the guy who's going to be um, just a completely different fighter in my eyes because he's not going to have that same matchup against Trayshawn Gore where a guy was going to be walking him down and um, where he does have that clear path to victory on the ground. I think it's going to be a spot where we're going to get a new Brian battle, someone who's going to have to mix in his game, show it a, a multifaceted uh, MMA approach. And I don't think I can necessarily trust him that much at this price tag with his striking defense, with his new weight cut. But that being said, I do think he's a better fighter. I do think he wins this fight. Um, just too many unknowns for me. I think that the KO line on Sato's a bit wide as well because uh, the way he's looking on the scales and with that striking defense, it's possible. But again, this is my stay away fight. I think I'm just going to sit back, enjoy. Hopefully it's a violent affair. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you got to say about it. Yeah, I went pretty big on Brian Battle earlier this week at minus 230. Oh. Like, I, I felt pretty damn good about him at that spot. I knew he was going to take action, which is why I got in as early as I did. Like, you know, the, the opener was roughly around 215. I got at 230. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There's, there's no way about it. Like, somebody as myself, uh, you know, trying to go out there and defend Brian Battle and how he looks on the scale, it, it doesn't make the most sense for me, right? But, like, one thing we have to remember is that we see these guys more often than not look bad on the scale, but still go out there and perform 
to the best of their abilities, right? Like last week, prime example, Drew Dober looked like absolute dog shit on the scales, goes out there and does what you would assume uh, somebody that looked like him on the scales wouldn't be able to do. And that's a third round KO victory that he was able to get over uh, a tough Rafael Alves. Beat him with the body too, which was a, a beautiful body shot that he was able to land there. So is it a bit of a concern that he might start to slow down or his durability is deterred? It, it could be, but I truly believe that his you kind of touched on it. his multifaceted game will really help him out in this spot with his, you know, his output, his striking, his movement, and his ability to mix in takedowns. I think that's where he's going to find most of his success. Takashi Sato's ground game needs a lot of work. And I see a lot of people out there saying, hey, you know, Gunnar Nelson couldn't submit him. Well, he knew Gunnar Nelson was going to do exactly that. He knew Gunnar Nelson was going to go out there, try to take him down and try to submit him. And he showed off some solid submission defense, right? Just because Gunnar Nelson was not able to submit him doesn't mean other guys won't be able to submit him, right? You got Miguel Baeza and Bilal Muhammad, who, in my opinion, I don't think they ever had gotten a submission inside the UFC before that fight. So it's one of those spots where, you know, they're able to work in a full game. Like I can see this looking like the Bilal Muhammad fight where he outstrikes him on the feet just based off of output. Hopefully, you know, his chin holds up there. He doesn't take the brunt of the shot there. But I do think he'll be able to get that fight to the ground eventually and then work him there, eventually opening up a submission opportunity for himself. I believe it's plus 250, plus 300. Let me just quickly check on the line here for the Brian Battle via submission line. Uh, plus 275 and plus 300 is what I'm seeing at most spots. I like that. But if anybody has any hesitancy and you already have action on Brian Battle, you could get a much worse line than plus 400 via KO for Takashi Sato, as that's usually his best path to victory. The guy's not a great minute winner. He's not great with his output. And I think that he's going to have to clip Brian Battle at a certain point here to get that victory. I don't see it happening. I'm not... You know, I'm not stressed out to the point that I'm hedging out on my Brian and battle action at this point in time. But I have told anybody telling me that I'm like, hey, if you feel any type of sketch or any type of way about this, you know, I'll give you my reasonings as to why you shouldn't. Then you can take your plus 400 hedge on uh, Sato by KO. Otherwise, let's ride this shit until uh, the wheels fall off, essentially, on Brian battle. I think he's a he's a. Personally, I think he's quite skilled in terms of being able to utilize the full MMA game to get his hand raised. Output, movement, cardio. Um, and, and wrestling and his jujitsu, it's all there. And the guy's durability has held up in the past, right? We saw the Andre Prasarski fight. We saw him deal with some big shots from Trishan Gordon Stokey coming forward. If he can bring that same durability into this cage, he'll have absolutely no resist or at least no problems in this fight, uh, at least in my opinion. So, um, yeah, Brian Battle, uh, I got in at minus 230 earlier this week. Minus 300, getting a little bit wild, I'll admit that, but I still think he goes out there and has a minus 300-type performance, honestly. Fair play. All right, let us move into the next fight here. We're going to be talking about Terrence McKinney and Eric Gonzalez. In terms of odds, we currently got minus uh, 850 on Terrence McKinney, plus 600 the return on Eric Gonzalez. Uh, both guys look great at the Williams, right? That that's That's first and foremost. Secondly... Terrence McKenney, you know, a guy most notably known for having a gas tank of three to four minutes, and that's really about it. People want to continue to give him the benefit of the doubt, being like, oh, he came in on short notice. He came in. He get... Like, we see it time and time again that the guy just slows down because he comes out with such a hellacious style. He comes out with a hellacious pace, wants to go out there and try to land the big shots, try to get his opponents out of there. His striking mainly consists of his left down the middle and that left high kick. That's really about it. Like, he doesn't have much else to his game. 
but other than the, the grappling, the grappling is truly where he thrives. He has a great wrestling background. He has amazing jujitsu. You know, if he wanted to be a three round fighter, he could absolutely do that by implementing his grappling more often than not. The question is, does his cardio, like, will his cardio allow him to do that? Because he's so used to fighting a certain way, which is go, go, go. Um, 14 out of his 16 fights have not reached the second round. 15 out of his 16 fights have all finished under one and a half rounds as well. That is why the under one and a half currently sits around minus 265. Makes complete sense to me. The way that I look to approach this, I parlayed the uh, fight does not start round three at minus 350. I parlayed it with a couple other things on this card. I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I'm hoping that we get a death gas from Terrence McKenney going into that second round and Eric Gonzalez possibly puts him away in that second round. And you need that willing dance partner to go out there and create violence. And Eric Gonzalez, in my opinion, is that guy to go out there and create some violence as well should he be able to take over the or take advantage of the cardio issues of Terrence McKenney. So I think McKenney wins. I think McKenney wins in round one, to be honest. Minus 200 is what that no. line is at, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, just throwing it out there, Tim Foy, hot conspiracy. Eric Gonzalez round two is plus 2,500. Eric Gonzalez round three is plus 3,500. So if you want to take a little bit of a sprinkle on both those spots, thinking that he can survive the early onslaught from Terrence McKinney, by all means, go for it. I think that will end up looking pretty good should this fight escape the first round. But I do think that McKinney will just put it on him right from the jump, land a big shot, get him to the ground, whatever it may be. You know, we've seen how quickly he can pass, you know, from full guard to side control to half guard to full mount. We saw it in the Phariseum fight, and I don't think that Eric Gonzalez brings anything more to the table in terms of his uh, takedown, or sorry, his grappling defense that's going to give Terrence McKinney too many issues. So am I parlaying Terrence McKinney at minus 850? No. I would rather no. take the under one and a half for the fight to not start round three. One, it's at a better number, and two, it covers a possible banana peel moment on the Terrence McKinney side, or him gassing out and Eric Gonzalez finishing him. So, um, Pick is uh, McKinney, McKinney round one finish, but the violence is probably what I would look to to have action on, if at all, in this fight. What about yourself, man? I'm so happy you said that, man. I, I placed a parlay last night with the, uh, the fight to start round three. Well, that and the fight <laughs> we're talking about later, that, that's that's what I'm talking about as well. I think it's a really interesting matchup. Of course, you're going to have Terrence McKinney minus 200 to finish round one. Is that the most likely outcome? Yes. But what are you gaining from betting him to finish round one at minus 200? I don't think yeah. it's necessarily what you're going to do. For me, it's it's interesting because Terrence McKinney, of course, can be my highest owned fighter on DraftKings. Um, huge finish upside, yeah. 9.5K. He's expensive, but for a good reason. He's a guy I'm really thinking is going to win this fight. But I'm not betting Terrence McKinney. I'm betting the fight to start round three, and I'm right there with you. I took a shot on Gonzalez inside the distance when it was plus 1,100 earlier in the oh, week. Oh, wow. <laughs> just because I, it, it, it's so many if, ands, or buts. Again, I've said this a few times already because if – Terrence McKinney doesn't get that finish in the first round. And we've seen Gonzalez be willing to trade and show decent heart and resiliency. What's going to happen in round two? What's going to happen as soon as he gasses out? What happens when he faces any type of resistance at all? I have no idea. Of course, I didn't go and bet multiple units on it. I took a shot on it because it's an if situation. If he survives, if he can make it there. I do like your shots in round two and three because I don't really see Gonzalez winning in round one that often. It's more of a, a gassing situation. The other thing about McKinney too is However talented he may be, he's a very frail fighter. And, and I say that with respect because, of course, he can beat me up. Of course, anybody who be in the cage can. <laughs> but Terrence McKinney's a guy who um, has been rocked multiple times. I mean, he hurt his what he hurt his leg when he did a backflip off the cage. Yeah, I think he's a guy who's very um, – he doesn't have, like, the biggest ability to withstand damage. And I think that anytime he's going to face a lot of resistance, that it's – the banana peel slipping is, is very – there's not – 
impossible is what I'm trying to say. I think if anyone's going to slip up in an appeal, it could be him. That being said, he's a more talented fighter. I think he has multiple paths of victory. I think he wins this fight at a very high clip. Not enough for me to bet him at minus 850. Not enough for me to play him round one, minus 200. Instead, targeting him on DraftKings, playing the fight doesn't go in a small shot on Gonzalez inside the distance. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, hopefully, he doesn't slip on a banana appeal. But then again, at least I would be covered with the violence bets more than anything. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here, and it's going to be the prelim headliner. We got the middleweight debut of Mihal Oleg He's going up against uh, probably the farewell fight for Sam Alvey in the UFC. We got minus 645 on Oleg Shajuk and plus 480 the return on Sam Alvey. Now, Alvey was one of the guys that kind of looked rough at the weigh-ins. He initially weighed in at 187. Didn't even bring out the box of shame initially because he's like, I, there's no way I can do this. That led me to believe that he had stopped cutting, but they gave him another hour. They actually made him and uh, Oleg Shajak face off first so that he can just go back and cut some more weight. And then he did uh, step back onto the scales backstage and made the weight. So he is cleared. He is ready to go at 186 pounds. He's admitted that it's been the roughest weight cut of his career. So maybe that uh, will let us know, you know, uh, how much weight cuts truly affect fights, uh, essentially, uh, seeing how he performs and what his durability looks like. Um, I'll let you actually kick this one off, though, like in terms of a stylistic standpoint. How do you think these guys match up? And, you know, is the price tag too wide? Is there another spot that you're looking at to take advantage of? What are you thinking here? Yeah, so when when I was originally thinking about people who would struggle to make weight, I was thinking be more on the Ola Jacek side. I know he's coming down a weight class. I know that uh, certain image circulating of him not looking great. And I do think that this is one where um, let, let's not get away from ourselves. Sam Alvey is on, what, a seven-fight skid, and he's coming yeah. into fighting again. It's it's not pretty. Sam Alvey's not someone that you're going to want to trust, even at this big plus-money price tag. But for me, I'm not betting Ola Jacek at this price tag either because I think that his style gives – the one chance for Alvey to get the win, which is that counter hook. Mikhail's going to walk forward. He's going to be having a weight cut, which may make him easier to finish. Um, so is it impossible for Alvey to get that finish? No, it's, it's one win condition in my opinion. I think the better minute winner, the better pressure, the better boxer, the better technicality um, is going to be Mikhail Olajicic. And I think he is a rightful favorite. With that being said, I took the under in this spot. I took the fight doesn't go at minus 160. Uh, I, I do like that spot quite a bit because I do think the most likely outcome is Mikhail pushes forward, pressure Sam Alvey, and finishes him, adding another loss to the record. I think that is what happens most of the time. With that being said, the win condition for Smiling Sam is a counter hook. We know that's what he is. And out of everyone to give him that walk forward ability to counter matchup, it is going to be Michael Olajacek. However, Mikhail has seemed to be decently durable enough to take those shots. So I don't think that necessarily that that's going to happen too often. But again, instead of just taking Mikhail inside the distance, I'm taking that fight doesn't go. I think it's be a fun electrifying fight. The weight cut miss or the weight original weight miss for Sam Alvey makes me like the Mikhail side even more. I think the most likely outcome is Mikhail walks forward, pressures him like he did to his last opponent and just takes him out of there. Me and you are on the same page here, my friend. I do, I do like that fight doesn't go to decision as well. That's what, I, that's what I ended up parlaying with that fight to not start round three of uh, uh, of the McKinney and Gonzalez fight. It's actually a three-leg parlay that I put together. I'll talk about that last leg, which is a little bit later on on this uh, card. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you, man. Like You can get minus 110 on uh, Mihal to win inside the distance, but there is absolutely that opportunity for um, Sam Alvey to land a big shot because of the style of Mihal, right? Just wanes forward, really always puts the pressure on his opponents never really lets them off and uh, sam alvey you know say what you want about any fighter who's on his skid but if they've been a power puncher in the past that's the last thing that will usually leave their uh skill set and we 
you know, you, you could absolutely see a scenario where uh, Sam Alvey can land that big strike. However, I do think it's going to be the relentless pressure, the body work of Mihal that eventually starts to add up. Uh, I, I know the total is set at one and a half. That one is, is a little bit too sketchy here, right? I think that it's going to take maybe deep into that second round, early of that third round for Mihal style to truly settle in, which will eventually allow us to cash that fight as a go to decision with, uh, you know, again, late second, early third round finish from Mihal. So, uh, again, I share the same sentiments as you do for this matchup. I, I wouldn't be caught, you know, betting that minus 625 line here, uh, no matter what kind of Sam Alvey that we're getting. But uh, the fight doesn't go to the decision. Probably the best way to play it. Getting the better line rather than taking Oleg Shajuk. And that is usually how he goes out there and wins this fight. So give me um, give me inside the distance. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I, and, I, and I really, really like this spot when I taped it. I, I was completely on it. I, I really thought that minus 160 is, is a great way to go. With that being said, like if we look at Sam Alvey, is, he hasn't been crumbled too many times. And it, it's the more the week going on, the more it is scaring me. But seeing that weight miss today really helped me uh, get back on track, make me like that spot even more. I don't think that either guy looked spectacular. I think that the knockout's going to be there. I think that Mikhail's going to walk forward no problem. And if, if he is the fighter of old, we should have no problem cashing that under. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I see my guy Bell Better saying uh, yes to go distance plus 140 all day. Uh, I've seen like throughout the week, I've done a ton of content this week. I've seen a lot of people say that they like the... Uh, the, the the fight to go to a decision and i'm like i could see your angle as well but i think that there might be some recency bias in regards to Mihal's last fight going to a decision right he's gone to a couple of decisions inside the ufc but you got to think about the stylistic matchups he has ahead of him here with sam alvey you know he's going to be able to walk him down as sam alvey always likes to just stay on that back foot keep his back glued against the cage pretty much and just throw overhands but like that 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 plays right into me how's game of just being able to stalk him get him into that corner unload with his combinations hopefully work that body enough that he could you know get sam to start dropping his hands down then go up top and possibly get that spot as well so sam used to be a guy that was known for his durability known for his ability to take damage but as we're seeing during this eight fight tumultuous run that he's currently on it's starting to decline and I think now you got a big heavy puncher, Mihal, in front of him. I think it's going to come to fruition where he can go out there and find that big knockout as well. All right. Let us move on to the main card. Before we do, shout out to the 50 live viewers that we currently have hanging with us on this Friday afternoon or evening, if you want to call it that. Appreciate you guys hanging with us. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already. And give my guy, Goro Gamble, some love as well. I do have his Twitter account linked in the description below. Click that thing and then click that follow button that you'll see right after that. And I'm sure he'll be blessing you with some solid information for your Twitter timelines. All right, let us move on to the main card here. First of which, we got a fight in the flyweight division between two women. We got Eriani Lipsky coming in against Priscilla Cachoeira. In terms of odds, we currently got minus 180 on Lipsky, plus 155 the return on Priscilla Cachoeira. Now, Lipsky, one of the you know, weight uh, scale flubs of the morning. She goes out there and misses weight by two pounds. Uh, sorry, three pounds. They reweigh her, you know, with the box of shame, sheds half a pound off of her clothes, uh, still comes in two and a half pounds over her, um, uh, two pounds over the weight limit there. Not a good look. But to me, physically speaking, she looked fine. Like, she didn't look like somebody that was trying to kill herself to try to make the weight, which, you know, makes me pissed off in a sense that it's just like, hey, 
be professional, right? Try, try to get as close to your weight as possible. If you're not going to make the weight, at least look like you're trying to make the weight. She just looked like she skipped from the sauna and said, ah, this is all the weight that I can cut. Let's just go fucking weigh in. Time is up. Whatever. Done. Let's get it over with. Um, so I don't think that that weight miss is going to come too much in play here. I think we're going to get, we're going to see this fight uh, play out just as much as it would have played out should she have made weight as she normally does. Uh, you know, she's not notorious, notoriously known to miss weight. So I think this is a little bit uncharacteristic for, of her to go out there and, and do that. Maybe she's just not motivated to fight a girl like Priscilla Castro. Maybe she just thinks she can beat her on her worst day. And I think that having that type of mentality is not a, it's not a good thing, especially against a girl like the, the zombie girl who's going to come forward pretty much the entire time, put power on you, put a pace on you. And if you can't keep up with that pace or that power, you're eventually going to crumble under it. See Gina Mazzani, right? Like <laughs> Ariane Lipsky, she is, and I, I said this all week, she is the better mixed martial artist in this fight, hands down. No doubt about it. But Priscilla Cashware is the better fighter. She is the one that will go out there and fight for your money. If you can get her at plus money and, you know, somewhat decent spots, I think this is a decent spot for her. I took the shot on her at plus 150. Uh, again, I'm fully expecting her to get touched up on the outside by uh, by by Ariani, but I'm expecting at a certain point the tide is going to turn when Priscilla keeps moving forward, doesn't let up, and eventually lands a big shot that's going to start to break Lipsky and she'll continue to, to keep that pressure on. Does she finish Lipsky? I'm not 100% sold on that. Maybe she could, maybe she won't. Um, but I'm still fine with the money line here at plus 150 uh, on Cashuera. I know what I'm getting myself into by betting Cashuera, uh, but I, I, I'm just not impressed with what we've been seeing from Ariane Lipsky, right? Her three wins inside the UFC, Isabella de Padua, who took the fight on less than 24 hours notice, if you guys remember that fight. Uh, Liruana Carolina, I would love to see that fight play out a little bit longer, right? That was that weird knee bar that Nasty. took like a minute and a half. Um, and then uh, Mandy Baum, who, you know, she might not even be in the UFC in the next couple months if she can't go out there and get another win. So, skeptical wins on the UFC level. She was obviously highly touted coming from KSW to the UFC, even to the point that she was like a minus 200 favorite against Joanne Calderwood, a minus 250 favorite against Molly McCann, and she flubs both of those spots. So tough for me to trust Lipsky. Give me the plus money on the uh, cash aware side. Um, yeah, but what do you think? Am I crazy man here for taking the catch a beating side or do you think that she has what it takes to uh, pull off the upside here? You're you're not crazy, but I, I did take a different approach to this one. I, I do not mind Ariane Lipsky here. I do think that she's a sneaky option on DraftKings at 8.4K. Um, I'm just not a big fan of Cashware. I mean, I, I bet against her in the past. I bet it last time, but we're not going to talk about that fight. Um, <laughs> and instead, really, what I took was I took I took uh, the, uh, some violence here. Uh, under two and a half plus 175, I do think that is the way to go, in my opinion. I think that Ariane Lipsky, first of all, actually, no, let's, let's scratch all that. Their nicknames are Queen of Violence and Zombie Girl. That is a, yeah. that is a badass way hey, to go. If you're I was going to say this, actually, Gordo. Uh, they should fight for the title of Queen of Violence, right? Like, yeah. like uh, Lipsky, she hasn't really lived up to that Queen of Violence name. Maybe she did in KSW, not so much in the UFC, and now she's fighting against the true Queen of Violence, in my opinion, who just likes to go out there and just be violent. Oh, Why not? For sure. <laughs> and, 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 like, she had, first of all, that knee bar, man, is disgusting. Anyway, oh, we're not so talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Cashewara is a fighter who despite me not being a fan of her skill set you hit the nail on the head she will fight for your money she is a dog and she will go out there and she'll put everything she has on the line to win the fight just ask jillian robertson's eyes as they were gouged out she'll do whatever it takes to win the fight for me it's it's a it's a 
a matter of having the fighter who is more talented, who has more paths to victory. Because I do think that Lipsky, despite not shooting any takedowns, is the better grappler, is the better uh, fighter on the ground. It does have the ability to go out there and submit her if she decides to do that. But the way I see this one uh, playing out is pretty pretty easy on the feet. Cachoeira walking forward, getting hit with thousands of punches. And if Lipsky can't really get her out of there, I think she crumbles. I think that Cachoeira's style is just horrendous to fight against she melts you she walks forward she just keeps coming forward she she's a zombie girl and for me that i think that the line is just a bit a bit mixed price a misprice of that under i do think that this finish could definitely materialize and i think that um it's definitely one where I can see it from both sides, whether it be Lipsky going to a wrestling and, and getting a submission win, whether it be her landing some powerful shots and, and connecting to the very, let's say, defensively challenged uh, zombie girl Cachoeira or having zombie girl Cachoeira melt Arian Lipsky down the stretch. So for me, I'm taking violence. I don't mind this side of Cachoeira because I always like fighting, uh, betting on the fighter who has more heart, more desire to win. Um, with that being said, I do think the more talented fighter is Arian Lipsky, but who knows? I couldn't come up with a better Canadian way of putting that fight just the way that you did right now. <laughs> like, trying to be nice to Priscilla. <laughs> I, I I don't know, man. I got I gotta be nice to every fight that goes in there, even though she she did gouge at our Canadian girl's eyes. Yes. So she's always you know what? She has the Queen of Islands title for that. Exactly. There you go. And just so you guys know, two fellow Canucks in here. So we 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 can jab ourselves at the uh, Canadian culture every now and then. All right. Uh, what, what do you got there? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Got the big Canadian hat. I, I don't think I own, like I own red and white shirts, but I don't think I own legit anything like Canadian based. I got to go get some fucking Canadian gear, maybe a Canadian hockey jersey or something like that. Could it, can it get any more Canadian than a Canadian hockey jersey? Pro- probably not, man. If you get a Leafs jersey though, you might get flamed a bit in the chat. So I'd be careful. <laughs> hey, Leafs, Leafs till I die. Just so you know, even For though sure. I haven't watched, Respect. I haven't watched the Leafs since uh, Matt Sundin days, honestly, but uh, yeah. Hey, I got a Raptors a big one back Raptors why are you Blue hiding Jays the Raptors? Why are you hiding the Raptors? <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta get it out there. I got some spicy P jerseys in the back. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, <laughs> I gotta get the Canadian represent out there. There you go. I love it. I love it. All right, and, and it's funny enough that I'm wearing a 76ers fucking cap right now, and they're the, the ones to uh, eliminate us. <laughs> they're <our> enemies. <laughs> I will say this. It's my favorite NBA logo of all time because oh, it reminds beautiful. me of my favorite uh, basketball player of all time. And can you guess who that is? AI. There we go. The there answer, baby. Let's go. All right. Let's get to the next fight here. Let's get back to the MMA talk. Next up, we got a heavyweight fight between Augusto Sakai and Sergei Spivak in terms of odds. More chalk. That is a, a very constant theme throughout this card. Chalk on the Sergei Spivak side. He has now reached minus 300. Plus 250 is the return on Augusto Sakai. Uh, I'll let you kick this one off first, man. What are you thinking about this heavyweight matchup? What do you think about the line? And do you have a play on the fight? I do have a play on the fight, and I'm going to talk about this with caution because I don't like talking too much about lines that have moved. But earlier in the week, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a, a pretty mispriced line. Uh, they had the under two and a half at the minus 165, but the fight doesn't go to minus 160. And that's what I hit. I did hit the, the fight doesn't go at minus 160 for uh, a few units. I think that's a spot where really I think violence is the way to go here. I think that if I'm looking at a fight at a back, I'm looking for an official uh, official prediction. It's going to be Sergei Spivak. I think that he is the better all-around mixed martial artist. He's going to have the ground game, and I don't think he's going to have too hard of a time getting it there. I think once he gets it there, he'll have the submission game. He'll have the top control. He'll have the ground and pound to get him out of there. For me, the win condition for Augustus Sakai is going to be a knockout. Is going to be him going out there, touching the chin, and, and winning via knockout. I don't think he's the better minute winner. I don't think he's going to have a guy in Sergei Spivak who's going to stay away at range. He's going to have to get him out of there, and he's going to have to get him out of there quickly. 
Is that impossible? No. Augustus Sakai has great power. It's what he has the most. And Circus Book has been finished before. Spivak has been finished, what, three times, I think, in his career. And I think that Augustus Sakai's win condition isn't out of the woods. With that being said, Sergei Spivak most likely is going to win the more minutes, get him down to the ground repeatedly, probably finish him on the ground. But violence is the way to go. Official pick is going to be Sergei Spivak by ground and pound. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised with a submission um, or a knockout by Augustus Sakai. Yeah, originally I was thinking that I was going to be on the uh, the Augusto Sakai side here, right? Like, I think the line was just a little bit too wide to begin with. Um I was I was kind of surprised that it was wide uh, that wide to begin with, and then you run the tape, and then you kind of see what what people are seeing. But I feel like we still need a little bit more data on the ground game of Augusto Sakai. Like it hasn't looked the greatest when he gets taken down, right? Obviously, the Alistair Overeem fight where he gets mauled in the third, fourth, and fifth round. But I'm kind of chalking that up to him just gassing out, right? Like I don't think he has much five round experience, and and I think that's where he kind of faltered there. So I gave him a pass in that fight. The the Blagoy even off fight, he stuffed two or three takedowns. One of those being, you know, the, the cage stuff to take down for him, if you guys remember that one. Um, and then before that was the Dana White Contender Series fight that he had, where he stuffed eight of nine takedowns. But that guy was absolute trash, absolute garbage. So this will definitely be the best grappling, heavy-minded guy that he's going to be fighting in most in his most recent years. And I think that's where people are finding that confidence that Spivak will likely get this fight to the ground and maul him there. I think on the feet, Spivak, uh, Sakai is definitely the better striker. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with your analysis in regards to him not being a minute winner because I think he could be a minute winner on the feet. Like, if he touches up Spivak enough, I think he could possibly win some minutes there. I never really thought of him as being this big like power puncher in the past because a lot of his fights mainly go to a decision and he's getting his hand raised by outpointing these guys on the feet i think that i'm trying to remember the guy that he knocked out was it chase sherman uh the most recent knockout win that he had um because uh th th that's just not you know uh, ko's are not something that usually go with sakai's name uh, marcin tarbori he knocked him out in a minute there and he ground and pounded uh chase sherman uh back in 2018 uh, the, yeah. the knockout victory he has over Marcos Conrado Jr. Watch that fight back, guys. That that guy was absolute dog shit. The guy was gassed three to four minutes into that fight. So I'm not really going to count that one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think ultimately Spivak will be able to get this fight to the ground. And then from on top, he's going to be very difficult to deal with, right? I saw one narrative going around uh, this week in regards to Sergey Spivak is tough to trust because once he gets cracked, he looks for a way out. I think that is a very, you know, like... Um, I think that's a wrong narrative. I, I don't think that is a correct narrative at all. Uh, you know, okay, he loses his first fight in the UFC to Walt Harris. UFC debut, flying across the world to Ottawa. Uh, you probably were there if you, if you left in Ottawa there. Um, no, I was not. You are not there. Uh, but uh, yeah, he... Um, sorry, you probably weren't in Ottawa at that time now that I'm thinking about it. But either way, uh, yeah, he loses his UFC debut. Okay, no shame in that. It is what it is. The other guy to smoke him out was Tom Aspinall, right? Fucking Tom Aspinall. That's what Tom Aspinall does. If if we've come to know anything about Tom Aspinall, that's what he does. And uh, then the other loss was uh, Marcin Tybura, where Tybura just put together a much better full uh, MMA game there. So uh, good work from Tybura there. But like he's beaten heavy hitters in the past. He beat Ty Tuivasa, who put the pressure on him early, and then he eventually submitted him there. He beat Greg Hardy in his last fight, who was one of the biggest hitters in the game, and he stood up to him. So I, I see the Spivak side. I was you know, 
confused between the the inside the distance or decision but now that i'm thinking about it, i do think that he could absolutely go out there and really rain down some big shots on augusto sakai from on top i don't know if he'll look to seek a, a submission i think he's just going to get that top position and start throwing down shots and get a tko so spivak via tko would not be a a bad way to approach this especially if you don't want to eat that minus 300 chalk spivak by ko is currently plus 175 so bet as you guys wish in that matchup but we're both going with some kai or sorry with spivak it's and some violence and some violence there we go all right let's move on to the next fight here and it is a women's flyweight belt and in particular it is the tough finale for the women's flyweights here and we're going to be looking at brogan walker going up against juliana miller in terms of odds we're looking at minus 120 on juliana miller plus 100 the return on brogan walker interesting fight here between I guess we can call it striker versus grappler, right? Like Juliana Miller goes out there, looks to get fights to the ground, and that's where she tries to get her best work done. I think, you know, we we saw her kind of learn from her mistakes and her one legit professional loss, which was that Claire Guthrie fight where she just stayed on desperation takedown after desperation shakedown, and Claire Guthrie was the one successfully defending while dishing damage, and damage was the key word there because Juliana Miller did none of that in that fight. Luckily, she learned from those mistakes, and we saw in the second fight where they ended up meeting up in the house for the ultimate fighter, where she starts getting those takedowns and start dishing out damage, which is why she ends up getting her hand raised there. She has a smothering top game when she's able to get on top, um, but I still think that her wrestling needs a little bit of work. Like, yes, you can be successful with getting girls down, but like, how successful are you going to do that as you take steps up in competition? Brogan Walker, you know, very crisp striker. You probably one of the best strikers in the house in terms of the women there. Good combinations, good footwork. Um, you know, she knows what she's doing when she's throwing her strikes. Very technical for sure. Um, takedown defense doesn't look half bad, right? Like she's obviously gonna have to deal with it here against Juliana Miller, but I do think that she can be successful in keeping this fight upright long enough to get her uh volume striking out. And I think that should be enough for her to take home a decision uh win. Not the highest on this, in my opinion. Uh, I, I'm not taking the bet myself. I know she's at plus 100 right now. She actually opened up as the favorite, and then money came in immediately on Juliana Miller. But uh, I think Walker will be fine. Uh, and, and before I pass on over to you, I, I'm not sure if you saw their uh, stare down uh, situation, but like I, I think Juliana Miller called her salty or something. And she goes, what are you talking about? What would I be salty about? <laughs> But uh, maybe something happened on the show. I didn't watch the show. Fuck the show. I only watched the fights. Um, but I'm going to go with Brogan Walker. I think she outstrikes her, keeps this fight upright, and takes home a decision victory as well as that tough trophy. What are your thoughts that, on this matchup? That was going to be my next question was, did you actually watch any of the episodes? Fuck no. <laughs> what? I, I Dude, I didn't even know it was on until like season, or sorry, episode four. I'm oh. like, oh, you guys, one, did not promote this properly. Not and two, all. I had no fucking idea. So... I put myself, I put myself through some pain watching it. Uh, It wasn't the (laughs) most entertaining uh, bouts, but let me just say, um, with all due respect, I'm not a fan of Juliana Miller. I think she was, she kind of annoyed me on the show. If I'm being honest, we didn't miss out anything there. Uh, But you know what we have here is we have a classic two and one fighter coming on the ultimate fighter versus someone who I actually think has decent promise in the UFC. I think that Brogan Walker should be favoring the spot a lot more than she is because I think she is the more solid fighter all around. I think that Juliana Miller, Miller showed a lot of heart, showed a lot of ability to go out there and, and win fights, battle back, just be tough. And I respect that. That's what you want to see in some fighters, someone who's going to be tough and fight for your money. Um, but I don't think she has a full all-around MMA game in order to win her a lot of fights, especially in this spot right here. Great submission game, 
great heart, but those are the two things I really have. Her wrestling needs work. Her striking needs a lot of work. And I do think that her um, all-around ability to win fights isn't necessarily there. On the feet is going to be Walker all day. I think she's going to have the ability to go out there and look a lot like a bigger favorite, especially to be more than a uh, the dog that she is now. And I think that she also has that black belt that if it does get into dangerous waters on the ground, she's going to be able to withstand that pressure from Juliana Miller. I think that Brogan Walker is going to have enough takedown defense, though. I don't think that I can rate uh, Juliana Miller's uh, takedown offense that much. I think Walker's going to have the ability to keep it upright and just outclass her. I think that decision is the right way to go. I have a unit bet on um, Brogan Walker as a just straight money line pick, but I could also go for the decision. No problem because we did see Miller be super, super tough and durable. That being said, give me Walker all day. I think she's got more vet experience, better striking, good takedown defense, uh, good enough ground game to um, keep up with her. If it does get down there and just the ability to go out there and, and win and win the fight. I like it. I'm glad we're on the same side there again. At most, I'll probably have broken Walker in like a lottery ticket parlay or something like that. But as an official bet, I'll probably stay away myself. seems like you have more confidence in that spot unfortunately <laughs> no worries hey, hey, hey if you see an edge fucking go for it and you've been damn good with spotting your edges and and cashing those tickets so there is some merit to there all right uh shout out to my guy mr always profit here letting us know sebi got finished in round one <laughs> hilarious mahmoud sebi minus 1250 flub back in uh late last year november of 2021 if i'm not mistaken gets signed to the pfl and loses by uppercut and punches in the first round hilarious ouch i forgot that was going on let me catch up with the rest of it pfl started at six o'clock we also got martin hamlet that just won a split decision over Corey hendrick so uh there you guys go other other news that just popped up while we were live uh israel adesanya versus alex Pereira officially set for ufc 281 headlining msg uh that's november 12th so big big fight there very much looking forward to that that'll be a, that'll be a fun one that's the same card as the uh poirier chandler fight correct yes sir yes, that'll be a fun sir. one big i look fight. forward to you know it. you know msg they always got to go big so they have uh, to. i'm very happy with that one it All already right. looks better than the 279 card <laughs> yeah 279 is dog shit let's be honest 279 is horrible um all right let's move on to this next fight another ultimate fighter finale uh we got zach pauga coming in against mohammed usman uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 265 for Pauga, plus 225 for Mohamed Usman. I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you thinking about these heavyweights? What could you tell us from the show? Was there anything that stood out from the show for you uh, about these guys, you know, non-fighting-wise? Uh, and then ultimately, who do you think ends up getting their hand raised here? Yeah, let me clarify. When I said that this was really painful to watch Ultimate Fighter, it was more so the, the heavyweight fights. The women's fights are actually decently entertaining throughout. Um, but you know what? I don't think that this is a fight that uh, earns as much merit as it should. I think that Usman could have lost his first fight that he had in the house. I know you watched that one. I don't know what his opponent was doing there. Anyways, point being, the main takeaway from this is Mohamed Usman is not Kamara Usman. And that's what I keep telling everybody because he, I don't think he's that good. I think he's a fighter who is has a lot to work on, has a lot of skills that he could probably harness into being a better fighter. Um, but I don't think he necessarily has too much promise, especially his division. But on the other hand, we have we have a guy in Zach Pauga, and uh, he's got the the Greg Hardy base. He's got the uh, old UFC, old NFL player turned UFC fighter, relatively new, under a two year career, and I do think that he has decent explosiveness. Um, but I don't see that same finish ability from him. I think he's going to be, um, he's going to have more speed. He's going to have decent wrestling upside here, but I don't necessarily see him being, um, a huge dominant winner to the point where his price tag is earned. 
to me, he's a he's a minute winner. He's a guy who's won four to five decisions. And, and it's really just a weird fight. I think that if we look at the overall better fighter, sure, it's Pauga. But I also have to take in that I think he is... he. Uh, okay, sorry. A lot of emotions coming to my head right now. This fight <laughs> is, is all over the place for me. Um, I expected Mohamed Usman to be a lot bigger than he was at, at heavy, uh, the weigh-ins. I think that Zach Pauga necessarily isn't the biggest heavyweight. I think he could necessarily even go down if he wanted to. And I think that he is overall a guy who needs work at heavyweight. I think Muhammad Usman is going to be the more powerful guy with more finish equity and the guy who go out there and, and win a fight here despite the big price tag. But that being said, the most likely outcome for me is going to be a Zach Pauga decision. I do think he has the ability to go out there, make it a boring fight at range, even throw in a few takedowns if he wanted to. Uh, just use that speed, um, that athleticism that he does have. And I do think that's the way to go. I can't get there on his money line. If anything, I'd maybe even bet the over. I don't think it's... Um, too pretty because it is what minus 120 now or something like that not something that's too appealing to me this whole this fight as a whole isn't very pretty and it was just a lot of rambling for me to say there are better spots on this card <laughs> they, these guys are you, you know they're not your conventional heavyweights because we do see them go to a decision more often than not because they're you know they don't mind taking that slow paced striking approach that will likely get them the decision uh if should it reach the judges scorecards um but I, but i do see more from Pauga that i like that i do like from muhammad usman right the it seems like like Usman has had his cardio issues, right? We saw it in the, the fight before he made it to the house uh, against Brandon Sales in, in the PFL where he gets gassed out and fin gets finished in the third round. His cardio looks good when he can dictate the pace. Brandon Sales took it into his hands that night and dictated the pace, and which is why he was able to get him out of there. And Pauga, in my opinion, could be the guy to do the same thing, that he dictates the pace, puts a little bit of a pressure on Usman with you know takedown attempts, level changes, combinations, footworks, pressure, and that could ultimately get him a finish later in this fight. Um, but I'm just not 100% sold that he'll be able to do that. Um, you, know, you, you talked about him possibly going down in weight. He is a light heavyweight, right? Like, he is a light heavyweight fighter. He used to fight at 205. Uh, I believe his last fight or second last fight before coming into the house was against former UFC middleweight Marcus Perez. And he goes out there and actually wins that fight via decision. Um, you know, his main training partner, Curtis Razor Blades, could be doing much worse than that, right? Like, to, to be in and out... Uh, you know, in and out of the gym with that guy every single day, I think is very helpful for him. Uh, I know they've been training side by side for a long time now, uh, especially, you know, taking trips to to go train at other gyms and get other looks at times. Uh, so that's very um, helpful as well. I like what we're getting with the kid, but again, the price tag is just a little bit too wide for me here. And even the, the method of victory is a little bit questionable for me too, is you know, does he wear him out and get him out of there early? Does he just lay and pray his way to a to a decision here? Like, it's absolutely possible, any of those scenarios. This is probably the most vol volatile fight in terms of uh, the method of victory from either side. But I do think we see Pauga get his hand raised here. Uh, decision is probably the spot that I'd be leaning on most. Uh, just just, just a better overall fighter, right? Mohamed Usman, I think within the next two or three years, he'll likely be cut from the UFC. I just don't think he's that good at all. Uh, he's uh, He tries to be a slow-paced striker. That's not going to cut it in the heavyweight's top 15. Guys will be able to get him out of there. Guys will be able to wrestle him. Guys will be able to put a pace on him and get him out of there. Like, imagine what Sergey Spivak would do to Mohamed Usman, right? Not good. Wouldn't be pretty. It would not be pretty at all. So, yeah, uh, me and Gordo on the same side here with Zach Pauga, but uh, realizing that the line is just a little bit too wide to have any true action on this spot. All right, let's move on to the co-main event. 
And I am so glad that it's in the co-main event slot because the first iteration of this main card actually had it before the tough finale fights. That would have been an absolute uh, spit in the face to these guys, especially with the type of fight that I expect this to be. We got Vicente Luque coming in as a minus 190 favorite, plus 160 to return on Jeff Neal. Very fun fight between two strikers who uh, have different styles, right? Uh, we like to see uh, Jeff Neal go out there and try to keep it clean, try to stay disciplined and be the more technical fighter. Whereas Luque, solid technical striker, don't get me wrong, excuse me, uh, but loves the wars, loves dragging violence. guys, loves dragging guys into violent spots and just making it a, a hellacious fight. Can Jeff Neal survive that? Possibly, but I think his best work is going to be able to come when he can counter Luque effectively here. Now, Luque gets hit a lot, right? I think it's 5.19 strikes absorbed per 15 minutes. Uh, on the flip side for Jeff Neal, he, he gets hit slightly more than he actually lands, but a lot of that has to do with this fight with Wonderboy Thompson, where he literally got you know outstruck almost 3-1 to one in that fight. So not a good look from him there. Luque you know, got outstruck himself by Wonderboy Thompson, but uh, Jeff Neal had to endure two more rounds of it than what uh, Vicente Luque had to against Wonderboy Thompson. Um, Luque obviously has the BJJ advantage, but he doesn't look to assert that at all. Like the last time he goes out there and shoots takedown with intent was against Leon Edwards. And that was way back in March of 2017. Since then, he hasn't even attempted a takedown. Right, if we remember the Michael Chiesa submission victory that he got was initiated by Michael Chiesa. Chiesa pretty much put him himself into that dart choke, and he got choked out in that spot. So, not a not a good look for a Chiesa there. But again, I am not expecting this fight to be in the uh, to be in the um, grappling realm at all. I think it's going to be a striking battle, and I think even though Luke will likely have the advantage in terms of output, I think it's going to be Neil that lands the better and more uh, damaging strikes, the more effective strikes. So, which is why I'm actually leaning on the Jeff Neal side here. I took a shot on him at plus 160 as an underdog, likely being my dog of the night play. Um, I got 1.9 units at plus 160. Uh, again, I think he's the better technical striker as long as he can remain disciplined and as long as safe Sayud and those guys down in Fortis MMA have come up with a proper enough game plan for him and and, and really studying Luke's game, seeing where he has his openings because Yes, he can be hit, but if Jeff Neal hits you, I think it's definitely more than, you know, if a guy like Brian Barbarena is hitting Vicente Luque. And last point I'll make about this, wasn't that long ago that Mike Perry went to a split decision with Vicente Luque, and you're getting Jeff Neal, much better striker than Mike Perry, you know, maybe not as reckless as Mike Perry, but that could help him here being the safer and uh, cleaner guy, and that will likely allow him to land the bigger and better strikes. So I'm expecting it to be a war, but I think that Jeff Neal's power will show off here, and, you know, we're going to see Luke absorb a lot of strikes on this uh, in this fight, in my opinion. Close fight, which is why I'll take the dog, but I do still like Jeff Neal to win this fight outright. I don't even... I, I'm still stumped in terms of whether he wins this fight by KO because Luke never been knocked out in his professional MMA career. 30 professional fights, never been knocked out. Uh, but they're on the Jeff Neal side, very heavy hitter. Like it, it's tough to see uh, which outcome will come to fruition, but I still end up on the Jeff Neal side here. What are you thinking here? It seems like you had a bit of a surprise look on your face when I said that I went with Neil because I have been seeing a lot of love for, for Vicente Luque during my live streams, during the my Twitter uh, scrolling what, what side are you on here? What are you liking here? You know what? I'm, I'm against you. I am on the Luke side here, but you are, you're saying with a lot of conviction, I, I really respect the, the takes here. And I do think that 
uh, it's going to be a very close fight. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about the line because I was able to to get some CLV and really uh, beat the line movement. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. But I do have a bet on Vicente Luque. I do think that this is a spot where I think he has, again, the more certainty from his side, in my opinion. I think that I get the shot. I get the love for Jeff Neal. But in order for him to win, I think he's going to have to fight a lot more perfect game. I don't think he can make the same mistakes that someone like Vicente Luque is able to make. Luque is a guy who puts a lot on the line because he he has no striking defense. He walks forward, had a high, and he absorbs a lot of the punches. But he's a violent man. I like his pressure here. I like his ability to go out there and 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 threaten the ground game here that Jeff Neal is probably going to stay away from. And, and I think that he's able to to pressure his way to land those more impactful shots. I think that he has the huge advantage level of competition. And it's not long ago that he was next in line to fight for the belt, right? I think that he is um, a guy who has the opportunity to go out there and, and win a pretty fun fight. But that being said, it's going to be an absolute war. And when I think of wars with Vicente Luque, I think of a guy who's always coming forward, always putting on a pace, and able to withstand a lot of damage. And I think he's able to withstand a lot of damage here and work his way uh, forward, always pushing forward. Um, I really like me Vicente Luque as a fighter in general. Uh, I have had problems fading him in the past because I do think that his ground game could be worked on in terms of um, being control wrestled. Um with that being said, uh, he has a lot better level of competition. I think he has uh, decent power in his own right. And I think that when you have a guy who's always coming forward, a guy who's going to close a distance, take away those those kicks from Jeff Neal, where he does have a lot of his power, and withstand a lot of the hands of steel power of Jeff Neal, I think you're going to have to take the shot on Vendy Luke, in my opinion. Um, the wins for Jeff Neal aren't too appealing in the first place. Okay, he beat Bilal Muhammad, and we'll give him that too. Um, but Nico Price and Mike Perry, uh, I do think that the split decision over Ponsonibia was uh, was a questionable win as well. I do think that all in all, it's going to be a really fun fight. I'm going to take the more versatile fighter and the more durable fighter, in my opinion, in Vicente Luque, uh, to go out there, pressure forward, land a few strikes, and just make it a really fun affair. One one last thing I do want to say about this matchup is the the everybody like I'm not saying that you're in this camp. You made some good points about Vicente Luque in terms of winning this fight, but the one thing that I see a lot of people harping on is that two fight losing skid that uh, Jeff Neal was on, right? Wonderboy Thompson and Neil Magny. And a lot of people laughing at the Neil Magny one, saying, "Look, Magny's getting le- finished left, right, and center nowadays. How could you?" bet on a guy that lost to that Neil Magny. Neil Magny is a very tough out there, uh, out for anybody, especially if you don't have a, a decided grappling advantage over him. He can put together, you know, solid combinations, good pressure, cardio. He's just a workhorse when he gets in there and he's able to put that pressure on his opponents. We see guys that have success against Neil Magny get him to the ground and keep him Still, you know, they, they can't keep him still on the feet, right? Michael Chiesa has tremendous success keeping him on the ground. Shavkat Rachmanov takes his neck home with him, right? Like, those are the guys that are going to beat him. Of course, Jeff Neal was going to have issues with uh, Neil Magny that night. I even bet on Neil Magny for that specific reason. I knew that Neil Magny would be able to come out with his hand raised. And Wonderboy Thompson, completely difficult style, ma- uh, difficult style, stylistic matchup for almost anybody. Uh, you know, we saw Vicente Luque even struggle with Wonderboy Thompson. So I think people are being too harsh on G- Jeff Neal because of those two losses. Uh, and I think that still might be trickling into the head of a lot of people if they just go out there and blindly bet Vicente Luque. I know you didn't buy, blindly bet Vicente Luque based off of that. You made some very good points, so I completely understand that point of it. But uh, again, going into that Wonderboy fight, this guy was a pick against Wonderboy Thompson. That's how hyped he was in the past. And now, obviously, we, we see the colors a little bit more, but I still think he is capable of high-level wins, and I think he'll remind people tomorrow night 
when he goes out there and beats Vicente Luque. For sure. It's it's going to be a really fun fight into. And whenever I do these bets, I, I, again, I think like most of us do, we, we create our own lines and we see how different we are from the line is itself. And I, I did cap Vicente Luque at around that minus 190, minus 200 point. Uh, and I got him at minus 155. So I, I'm really confident with the way I did snag that. Um, it's a lot hard for me to get to him as he is now, but I do think he's a guy who has multiple paths to victory and I think is going to be a really fun fight nonetheless. If I did want to hedge out of it, I definitely can right now. But um, either way, give me give me a fun fight. That's all I want to see coming yeah. event. I don't think these guys can disappoint, uh, and I think it's going to be a great scrap. Yeah, Peachy saying he went big on Wonderboy versus Jeff. I was right there with oh, you, so my friend. I. Yep. I was I was pretty big on Wonderboy myself that night. I, I think people are a little bit too high on Jeff New at that point. Again, I, I think he is capable of high level wins, but stylistically speaking, you know, Wonderboy Thompson and Jeff, uh, or sorry, Neil Magny are two of the hardest guys to to game plan for, especially if you don't have uh, grappling upside on your side. All right, let's move on to the main event here. Once again, shout out to everybody in the live chat. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Give my guy Gordo Gambles a follow as well. Link to his Twitter page is in the description below. I promise you'll be blessing your timeline with some info nuggets that you guys would be very thankful for. So please do give him that follow. All right. Let us move on to the main event here, which is taking place in the light heavyweight division. We got a scrap between Tiago Santos, who's a plus 255 dog here, coming in against the guy who the show was built around, as my guy John Anik likes to say, minus 305 on Jamal Hill. Now, interesting matchup here, which I'm actually going to let you kick off, my friend. I'll let you kick off this uh, breakdown. What are you liking here? What are your thoughts? Do you think there are any value on Tiago Santos as a big dog, or do you think that Jamal Hill continues his winning ways? Yeah, as a let's, I'm going to call myself a DraftKings player. For as a DraftKings player, for seeing a Thiago Santos main event isn't as appealing as always, but facing a guy in Jabal Hill, we know that Sweet Dreams is going to bring the heat and it's going to be a very fun fight. I don't think that he's capable of a boring fight. So I love me some Jamal Hill in the spot. This is actually the second leg to that uh, Terrence McKinney fight doesn't start round three parlay. I got Hill. I got fight doesn't start round three. That's the way I'm going. I think that Hill is a guy who um, has a lot of upside in the division. Not only do I think he's going to have a power and striking advantage over a guy in Thiago Santos who I have seen some regression from, but I also think he's going to have more volume and even a, a grappling upside here. I think Jamal Hill has a lot of assets to his game that we haven't fully seen in the UFC yet. What we've seen from him is power and finishes, and and I do like that. And, I, and there's a guy who I really can get behind. Um, what I like from him, though, is I think that he is I think he wants it more at this stage. Thiago Santos isn't a guy who I see with too much will anymore. He's a guy who's content with striking for range for five minutes he doesn't care about going out there and looking like a, a performance of the night kind of guy he's okay with just trying to win the fight to his best ability and i think that if he stays in range with jamal hill jamal hill's boxing chops are really gonna get the best of him uh, for me i think that jamal hill is a guy who i'm targeting on DraftKings. he's a guy who i'm okay with parlaying because i do think he is able to close that line value and it's really hard for me to, to see a win for Thiago Santos. I think that if we look at um, who has more finish upside here, sure, he may be the hammer, but we've seen decent durability from Hill. We've seen heart. We've seen good defensive tendencies. And we haven't seen the same explosiveness from Moretta as we used to. Thiago Santos really hasn't looked the same uh, recently. And I think that although it is UFC and anything could happen, any knockout could come change the outcome of a fight, I don't necessarily see him ha having that same knockout upside as he's used to in the past. And therefore, can I trust Thiago Santos to win a slow decision. Can I trust him to to go out there and win minutes? And I don't think I can. I don't think he's going to be throwing more volume. I don't think he's going to be getting the better of the exchanges. And I do think that Jamal Hill probably gets him out of there early. So it's another one of those spots where I'm on the favorite. I'm on Jamal Hill. I think he has good upside in this fight. I think he probably gets him out of there. And for me, he's a great target on DraftKings as well. 
Yeah, I, I am on on your side in terms of uh, taking the Hill side as well. But I think we need to go back and just remember one thing, right? Like, it's MMA at the end of the day. Tiago Santos hasn't looked the greatest in, in his recent form, but he's got to know that, like, either his job is on the line at a certain point or that he's going to have to go out there and start producing results. Otherwise, people are going to start to forget him. And, and uh, you know, he starts to lose his leverage in terms of, like, uh, negotiating with the UFC whenever he gets his new contract. So at a certain point, we're going to see that fire of Tiago Santos come back. Will that happen tonight? I don't know. Uh, or, sorry, tomorrow night. I'm not sure, but at a certain point, it has to come back, right? And he's getting up there in age. He's 38, 39 years old. It's not too, you know, if you want to take the age approach here, everything is in Jamal Hill's favor. But again, he does have that big knockout power. He is, in my opinion, the better technical striker when he actually lets his strikes go. How well are those leg kicks if he looks to start throwing his leg, leg kicks again? How are those going to impact Jamal Hill? Because we saw them affect him a little bit against OSP, but we know OSP slows down and then he eventually gets... Uh, you know, smothered and eventually finished by by Jamal Hill midway through that second round. But what if Jamal doesn't get Tiago Santos out of there? How is he going to deal with the, the the leg kicking game of uh, of Tiago Santos? And another thing, like I get it, Bra David Branch put out Tiago Santos, but I think that was more so of a a surprise finish than anything, right? Like I think everybody on their mother expected David Branch to try to get that fight to the ground and try to submit him. But he just throw hella power, and I don't think Tiago Santos was ready for it. He got hit with the shot that he didn't see coming anyone out. He is fully expecting Jamal Hill to go out there and try to take him out. And this might be one of those spots where his chin holds up. He is not fragile like Johnny Walker is, right? He is not fragile like possibly even Jimmy Groot was. All the all the finishes, most of the finishes I've been seeing from Jamal Hill are like accumulative uh, combination finishes, not, not one-punch KOs other than the, the Johnny Walker fight, right? Like, he is not that heavy, heavy power striking kind of guy. Exactly. Everybody remembers that knockout there. So if he can't find the chin of Tiago Santos, and even if he does, it's not guaranteed that he's going to go down like a sack of bricks. It's it's possible that he can endure those shots. And this fight might go into the second round. This fight might go into the third round. What I think is going to be the ultimate downfall of Tiago Santos is Jamal Hill's body work. The guy works the body so well. He puts combinations together so well. His kicks to the body are amazing as well. Like, all these things add them up and, you know, give it around two rounds, maybe even three rounds to settle in, then I think he eventually fully puts his foot on the gas and gets Tiago Santos out of there probably in the third or fourth round. I'm not sold it's going to happen in the first round, as a lot of people expect. Yes, Tiago Santos hasn't looked the greatest as of yet, but he is not this guy going out there getting knocked out left, right, and center. He still has solid durability, took some big shots, although may maybe not many from Johnny Walker, but still managed to, you know, keep standing and keep going forward. Um yeah, all I'm saying, don't fully count out Tiago Santos. I think he can make things live if his durability holds up. But at the end of the day, I'm still end up on, ending up on the Jamal Hill side here. Uh, hopefully, we get a smart, disciplined approach from him with the striking, and he gets Tiago Santos out of there probably in the third or fourth round. All right, that is a wrap on the breakdowns here. Let's end off uh, the, the podcast here with Lock of the Night plays, our most confident plays on the card for myself and Gordo. I'll start things off. I'm going to stick with my guns on Brian Battle. I got in early at minus 230 this week. Obviously, not a lot of people want to pay that minus 300 chalk on him. Maybe parlay him with the fight doesn't go to decision. or Sorry, fight does not start round three of the McKinney-Gonzalez fight or even Sergey Spivak. I think both those spots are, are prime as well, as well as the Oleg Shajuk and uh, Sam Alley fight to not go to decision. So giving you guys a couple parlay pieces as well, especially if you don't want to pay that chalk on Brian Battle. I was more than happy to at minus 230 earlier this week. But again, you guys are not getting that number at this time. So I get it. Gordo, 
What are you thinking, my friend? What What's the most confident play you got on the card for tomorrow? Yeah, and I think that I kind of, I don't want to say I messed up, but my it's my lock of the night play I submitted for the contest is one I absolutely love. But if I was going to give another one, uh, that Spivok and uh, Sakai Nachko the distance is one I really like as well. Uh, I do like Jamal Hill's a parlay piece, but the lock of the night play for me this week is, according to the chat, maybe a bit controversial. According to people I've seen on Twitter, a bit controversial, but I'm taking that fight doesn't go with elect, uh, Mikhail Jacek and Sam Alvey. That is the one I'm going to take. Uh, minus 160 fight not to go the distance. I do think this is a spot where Mikhail is able to wear him down over the stretch. And originally when I taped this, I'm like, okay, Sam Alvey's going to have the ability to go out there and his path to victory is a, a right hook. He's fighting for his job back up against the wall um, against a guy coming down a weight class. That was my reasoning. That being said, um, Sam Alvey is actually wanting to look weaker on the scales. Give me Mikhail Jacek knockout early on. I don't care. Give me violence in that spot. I do think that their styles make it so that the most likely path to victory is that knockout. So give me that fight doesn't go up minus 160. I also believe you guys can get fight to end via knockout on FanDuel at minus 145. So that Ooh. covers both sides as well. Fight doesn't go to decision. Last side's always minus 175, so not too far off there. But yeah, I, I am kind of surprised at the amount of love that I'm seeing for the fight to go to decision uh, through the live chat, through the Twitter timelines, all that stuff. Hopefully me and you are on the right side this weekend and we see some violence in that spot. All right, Gordo, uh, before we get on out of here, I'm going to give you one last opportunity to plug any and everything you would like for the fans here, where they can find you, what work you're putting out, and where they can find that as well. Please let them know. Yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, Gordo Gambles at Gambles Gordo on Twitter. That is where you can find all of my work. I'll be actually posting my plays probably shortly. I got a nice little slate where I'm looking forward to posting all that stuff. But in terms of my content, in terms of the videos I'm posting at Plays and Fade Sports on YouTube, the Plays and Fade Sports YouTube channel is where I post all of my content, full card DFS breakdowns, uh, D Dana White Contender Series breakdowns, all of that stuff, a little prop drop for prize picks, even though we can't even play it because why not? Uh, and all that stuff there. Um, I have all my content at Plays and Fade Sports. I also commented that I'm going to UFC 280 or 278 in the chat as well. That's where you can find all my stuff. In terms of me, uh, if you guys want to know anything, I, I love answering DMs. I love talking fights. So if you ever want to hop into the DMs, at Gambles Gordon on Twitter is where to do it. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. I had a lot of fun breaking it down. It's been an absolute pleasure talking fights, and uh, good luck to all, your, to all your plays this weekend. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. It was a great time chopping it up with you, as always. It's always a little bit extra special when I'm able to get a fellow Canadian on the show as well. Um, sure. and, and, yeah, it's always great to do that. Last question here from my guy, Nick and My thoughts on battle after the weigh-in. I am just about to post the timestamps on this as soon as I wrap up, but please go back and listen to the breakdown that we did for that fight. I think we both went a solid five to seven minutes on that, as well as giving our thoughts on the weigh-ins. So please check that out on the replay. Uh, timestamps are going to go up in the next 10 minutes, so you go, don't have to scroll through it to find it, but you'll eventually find it. All right, Gordo, once again, appreciate you doing the show as always. Appreciate everybody hopping on and joining on uh, the live stream as well. If you're listening to this after the fact, drop a comment below. Let me know what your favorite spot is on the card this weekend. Um, um, if you're listening on audio or iTunes, make sure you rate and review as well. That's a big way for us to get into the algorithm and all that stuff. Uh, make sure you guys do that. And then also follow my guy, Gordo Gambles, on Twitter at Gambles Gordo. Uh, you know, he's, he's switching it up on us there. But that's I mess myself up sometimes. There you go. <laughs> uh, again, even if you don't want to type it in, you guys can just hit the description below down here. And you guys will be able to find the link to his Twitter page there as well. All right. Good luck to everybody on their bets. I will be back tomorrow for the 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day live chat. And uh, yeah, good luck on your bets, folks. We'll see you guys next week.